This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Okay, we are changing gears completely. Have you been to an emergency ward lately? How is the wait time? And what happened if you or a loved one had to be admitted to hospital? Health Quality Ontario has just released a new report on emergency department performance in Ontario. The report finds that overall wait times in Ontario's emergency departments are getting shorter. But when you take a closer look at the data, some troubling things emerge. Patients may spend hours, sometimes even days, lying on stretchers in emergency examination rooms or hallways. And this is especially troubling because an emergency department could be strained further as we head into flu season or if a hospital nearby has to close its emergency department. Uh, Right now, uh, I am joined by Dr. Joshua Tepper, who is the President and Chief Executive Officer of Health Quality Ontario. Welcome, Dr. Tepper. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How quickly the day goes. Uh, Absolutely. So uh, your report found that there was a 16% drop in the average amount of time most patients wait in emergency to see a doctor from 3.6 to 3 hours. Uh, First of all, over what kind of a period of time and was that uh, what your target was? So again, I think this is over about an eight-year period of time. So it's been a, a steady progress. Um, and again, we obviously we might like to see it even lower, but I think a couple of things to keep in mind. First of all, during the same time period, the population and the volumes that have gone to the emergency department have gone up substantially. So one of the things our report shows is just how many more visits uh, we're seeing now, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of more visits uh, across the province now than just a few years ago. So to be able to shorten the wait times while uh, the volume is going up is impressive. And not just more volumes, but sicker patients. Mm-hmm. And uh, is that just a, a, a factor of the population getting older? I think there's a few things in play. I think one of it is is the population getting older. The second is more chronic diseases. Um, and, you know, it's great. People are living much longer. People are, are aging, but living longer. Uh, but also that people have more chronic diseases. There's a lot more complexity. And so the patients who do visit uh, have a, often a very high sort of illness burden and, and a lot of complexity to them. Now, I remember there was a time when uh, if you needed to see a doctor after hours, the message on the doctor's machine would say, uh, if you're calling after hours, go to uh, an emergency ward. Uh, That has stopped and kind of the rules of engagement for family practices have changed. So is that what took care of that to a large extent? Well, I think it's variable across the province. I think there's no doubt that we are seeing a move by primary care and, and family doctors to see patients more often afterwards, nurse practitioners as well, uh, to be involved more often after hours and on weekends. Uh, I know my family practice where I work, uh, we work collectively, 
to to see people have clinic Saturday, Sunday, each night of the week. But we're fortunate; we're quite a large group, and so we can share the share the burden. So I think that does help to some degree, for sure. Uh, one of the other things that I found, and and this ultimately uh, this happened to me when I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and that is I could not get in to see a specialist. And the specialist's office said, kind of, lady, if you don't like it, go to eMERGE. So I was actually diagnosed in emergency and from there had to be admitted. Is that happening a lot more often where people can't get in to see a specialist, so they end up going to emergency for that? I do think one of the things that comes out of our report uh, is a strong encouragement for us to really think carefully about the whole system and how it's organized. And the emergency department really focuses, ends up being a bit of a, a focus point, if you will. Um, and it can feel almost like a dumping zone, but it also is a place that's been set up to facilitate access to resources, such as specialists, as you point out, in, in a timely way. Um, I do think one of the things we need to do going forward is think about how do we better change the rest of the system to take some of the pressure off the emergency room? We've talked a bit about how can primary care help. We should think about how can specialists organize themselves to help take some of that pressure off. How can we organize diagnostic imaging tests and laboratory access to help? And obviously home and community care, long-term care. So I think when we look to the, I always say that the emergency room is a bit of a canary in the coal mine, when things start to go wrong there, we got to look at the rest of the system. Uh-huh. And, um, I mean, do we, what does it show you in terms of uh, what we need more of in the province? I think one of the things that it shows us is that we do have a significant growth in urban areas. And that's probably not surprising for those who've been in larger settings and seen the tremendous housing and condo condo development. Um, I also think what it does show us is that we do need to think about how do we organize specialty care, home care, primary care? How do we give people options other than simply going to the emergency room for care? Uh, Certainly when they're not overly sick, but even how do we think more thoughtfully around really high acuity or really particularly ill patients as well? Now, to be clear, there are lots and lots of patients who absolutely must be in the must be seen in the hospital, must be seen in the emergency department. But what can we do again to for those who don't absolutely have to be there? The other, if I can, the other group that I think we need to do better is for those patients who actually need to stay overnight or to be admitted, maybe for more than overnight, for those who need to come into hospital, those wait times are still far, far too long. And that means they're often waiting in hallways, they're waiting in the emergency room. And so what it means is we have to create more capacity upstairs, if you will, in the hospital. To do that means we also have to be able to get patients out of hospital. And what we know is there is a large and a growing number of patients that are in hospitals that no longer need to be there, and we need to create the capacity at home and in the community for them to be able to leave so these patients waiting in the emergency room can come upstairs. So again, I know it sounds a bit complicated, but the opportunity that I think a report points to is for some real system thinking.
Uh, Dr. Tepper, hang on. I, I just want to give the numbers again because I want to hear from our listeners. Uh, listeners, I want to hear from you. Have you been to an emergency ward? How long did you have to wait? Uh, were you maybe with a loved one? What happened if you had to be admitted to hospital? Have you noticed things improving? Um, what about home care? Dr. Tepper just mentioned that one of the barriers is people can't get home care. And if they can't get home care, they can't be released from the hospital. The numbers to call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. And we're talking about your access to medical services. And and, uh, Dr. Tepper, you're talking about uh, the canary in the coal mine. Uh, So and, and having to think about this from a system perspective. So where does the fixing have to start? Uh, do we have to start by making more home care available? Um, you know, because it, it, it's all connected. It is all connected. And that's why I think one of the things and we want to avoid is actually just trying to fix one part. And actually, I think what we want to do is think about how can we work simultaneously on several parts because otherwise I worry it's going to be a bit like a, I don't know this is a perfect analogy, I apologize, but a bit like an ice cream sandwich. If you start to squeeze or focus on one part, you just create pressure. It squeezes out to another part. And so I do think what we want to do is say, you know what, let, let's take a look at what how efficient and uh, how we're operating our emergency departments, our hospitals. Let's continue to invest and support strong primary care lots of talk these days about changes to home care. So how do we avoid just, I think the risk we often have in thinking about healthcare changes, focusing just on, on one part at a time, and that's not always the recipe for success. I think if we can work uh, in parallel on several parts, uh, we'll have better luck. Okay, uh, let's take a couple of calls. Sure. We've got Alvin in Toronto. Hello, Alvin. Hello, Lizzie. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Go ahead. I had a fall, and I broke my hip a couple of years ago, and I was taken by the ambulance at 3 o'clock, and I was admitted in emergency to see a doctor at 2 o'clock in the night. Wow. My mother was taken once she's on the ventilator and G-tube. Yeah. She was nearly more than 48 hours in emergency. She was where? Sorry, she was She was what? She was more than two days in emergency because she's on a ventilator and she has to go to ICU. Okay. And when was that? This was last year, I think, last year. And mine was about two, three years ago. And uh, can I ask where this was? This one, my mother was in North York General and I was in Toronto East, which is called Michael Guerin Hospital. Um, Dr. Tepper? Well, um, I should probably acknowledge I actually work in the North North York General Hospital emergency room, so I should uh, probably acknowledge that in context of this caller. Okay, thank you. Uh, and it is actually, I, I take a lot of pride in working there. I, I think it's a great hospital and a great team that works hard. I think, obviously, there continues to be huge room for improvement in the case of your mother. And I'm sorry to, first of all, let me just say, I'm sorry to hear both of you uh, were so unwell and your mother quite unwell on a ventilator. 
you know, these are, especially for event led patients, these are very, very sick patients um, who need very specialized care. And again, getting that in place uh, can sometimes take time. The good news is she would have been well cared for within the emergency department while on a ventilator in the emergency department. But I certainly appreciate uh, the issues that are raised. And a hip fracture, again, is something that you want to see assessed and, and at least the pain managed quite promptly. So what I will say is one of the good things we found in our report is we take a look at patient experience. And uh, more than 70% actually say their their care is very good, excellent, good care. And so I think volumes aside, wait times aside, overall when we ask patients, there's still a lot of satisfaction. Okay. Alvin, um, I guess we hear you. We're sorry to hear your story. Thank you for that. Yeah. One suggestion. Can I make it? Go ahead. Uh, can they put a, a kind of a walk-in clinic between 8 o'clock and 2 o'clock in the night outside the hospital? Only Centenary Hospital has it. There's no other hospital because most of the patients are not emergency patients who are coming to the hospital. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. So actually, can, can we pick up on that for just a couple points? Sure. Because it's actually a really important thing because when that, I think I worry a little bit that there is this perception that a lot, most of the patients that come are not very sick. And in fact, when we looked at the data, what we found is actually a very steady decrease in patients who are less sick who come to the emergency room and a steady increase in those who are actually quite sick. And so I think over time, in fact, it's a bit of a myth that I wouldn't want to continue to perpetuate that we have a lot of not sick patients coming. I think our data actually shows there's been a steady change in that. Well, yeah, as I, as I mentioned, that used to be the case, and the rules for uh, family docs were changed so that um, if I think that if you're a patient of a family doc and you end up going uh, to emerge for something not serious, they get docked. So I think that's changed things a bit. Uh, let's try to get to some more of these calls. Uh, Ryan in St. Catharines. Hi, Ryan. Hi, how are you doing? Fine, how are uh, you? Good, thanks. Um, I've, I've bought... Four months ago, um, my wife and I went to the to the doctor's office. The doctor was checking her heart out because she was having some chest pains, etc. The doctor uh, took a look at her, listened to her, did an ECG, and said, "Okay, I want you to go to the hospital. I want you admitted. Um, here's a letter." And drafted up a letter to the to the hospital saying what he felt was wrong and what she needed done, and that he wanted her admitted. We get to the hospital, they take a look at it, and they said, well, we're 30 beds short right now, um, but we will do what we can. So uh, just go ahead and sit down, wait, and uh, uh, we'll get your wife in as soon as we can. So I left the hospital uh, to feed the kids and stuff, and then went back to the hospital, and four hours later, and she's still sitting there. I said, what are you, what are you, why are you still sitting here? And she says, nobody's seen me. So I went up to the reception desk, I said, what's happening with my wife? Um, um, and they didn't know. So they, they turned around. Uh, finally, they, within about five minutes, they took her in and seeing a specialist there, and he said, well, we're 30 beds short. There's nothing we can do about that right now. And he ran some tests. I think he said, you'll be okay to go home. Just keep an eye on it and watch your blood pressure. And uh, I had a blood pressure machine at home and said, do that. But then I'm also 
a week later, I'm in a specialist office trying to get knee surgery uh, for knee replacement. The specialist tells me St. Catherine General Hospital is 30 beds short. And this is a brand new hospital, right? It was only built about two years ago. It's 30 beds short. I mean, how can it be? My daughter's a registered nurse. I said, how can we be 30 beds short in a brand new hospital? She said, Dad, it's not that they're 30 beds short. She says, they don't have the nurses there to staff the beds. Exactly. So I'm like, why? Like, why on earth? And Kathleen Wynn has just laid off another whole slew of nurses. Dr. Tepper? Well, I think there are different reasons. And, uh, you know, whether it's in some cases it may be nursing, in other cases it may be, as we mentioned earlier, again, patients who are still in the hospital who would be better cared for or appropriately cared for out of hospital. One of the things that I'm hoping our report will do is generate the type of conversations we're having today. Again, I want to be cautious about assuming we know in each case that we hear about exactly what was happening. I think sometimes there are different reasons for the waits. The first case with somebody waiting for a ventilator, very different potentially than this case, somebody waiting for knee, a knee surgery, and the reasons and the barriers change. But the, and that goes back to what we were talking about before, actually, uh, is about the need to have sort of a comprehensive approach. Yeah, but it wasn't just the knee surgery. It was my wife, the doctor wanted my wife admitted to the hospital that night. Yep. And they said there's a 30, because of her yep. heart, right? And there's a 30-bed shortage and nothing they can do about it. Sorry, go home. Uh, so I, really? I, go ahead. Uh, please, yeah, please, please respond, uh, Dr. Pepper. Uh, Dr. Tepper, I'm sorry. Uh, and Ryan, uh, we're, just hang on and thanks for your call. Yeah, no, you're not the first uh, for Dr. Pepper, I guess. <laughs> no. um, again, I think a couple of things that's important. I, I think absolutely the waits are far longer than anybody would like to see. I see that as a sort of dad and with somebody with some aging parents. Also, I do think people should be reassured, though, that like in the case here, that the tests were done and things were assessed. So people are not being sent home who should, you know, who are at risk. I think one thing to listen carefully for in that story is that there was some care provided um, and a sort of thoughtful decision made uh, before discharging the patient. But I do, I absolutely hear you that these are very long waits. Um, The reasons for the waits, I think, are more complex, but that doesn't, then sometimes are easily apparent, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be tackling them. I want to be clear on that. Okay, let's try to uh, get one more call in. We've got Hal in Kitchener. Hello, Hal. Yeah, hello. Hi. Uh, look, I feel really extremely sorry for these people that have these difficulties, but I've got to tell you that I was in the hospital four weeks ago at uh, St. Mary's in Kitchener, which is a heart hospital, and it was marvelous. I mean, yes, I had to wait for a few minutes being checked in because I had no symptoms, no problems, nothing, and she didn't believe me at the reception. She said, you look too good to be here. What are you doing here? Anyway, my pulse rate was 34. Oh, dear. I was there. That's kind of low. And I take my blood pressure every day, so I know what's going on. But anyway, I went in on my own without the doctor knowing about it or anything else, and they did admit me with all the tests and so on, and within two days, I had a pacemaker installed. And I went home two hours after that. I mean, I had such good, beautiful service 
that I, I couldn't expect anymore. Granted, I had to wait in the reception room. Yes, I had to wait in the, once they admitted me, downstairs with 30 other people. <laughs> but uh, in any case, they finally found a room upstairs a, a day or two later and put me up there. And as I said, within the third day, I had the pacemaker. I'm back home again. Okay. Well, uh, sounds like you're doing well. And it's, it's nice to have, uh, you know, an, well, a nice story. Thanks for your call. They do what they can there. Yep. Thank you. They well, I nobody nobody says that medical people don't do what they can. Uh, exactly. I'm looking at the clock, and I think we can get a quick comment from Jim in Hanover. Hi, Jim. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to comment on what the doctor said, and one of your other callers is very deceiving. That sign out the front, emergency, because you know you could have something, maybe just a, a cut on your arm, and you need a few stitches. I wouldn't classify that as an emergency where you're held, holding people up like the fellow that just finished talking to, uh, where his uh, blood pressure or his heartbeat is down. So why wouldn't we have a separate building, separate emergency from, um, you know, something that needs attending to, maybe a broken leg or a cut, needs stitches, in, uh, in a separate place? Uh, okay, Jim. Emergency. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Uh if people were listening to Dr. Tepper, he said what they found is that the the people going into emergency these days are sicker. It's it's not like the old days. Uh, we uh, have about a minute left. Dr. Tepper, what would you like to leave us with? Uh, just two quick thoughts. Uh, you know, first of all, I think this idea of having different ways of moving people quickly through or outside to look after less acute things, I think we see that in a lot of communities, and I think we need to continue to explore it. Again, just I think a final point is people should remember that if they think they need to seek care, if they're worried and they think they have an emergency, they should absolutely uh, go and seek care. And so nobody should be discouraged by wait times or the stories they hear. If you think you're in trouble, please seek care. Okay, that's a a good message. And uh, there usually is some kind of triage. And if there's something like a heart event, they take you in pretty quickly. Absolutely. Uh, And uh, we take your point about these uh, bottlenecks in the system. And that's an interesting thought that they all kind of have to be tackled at the same time time. We talk about home care here a lot. Uh, We talk about a lot of different things. Um, But uh, yep, um, our system, you know, uh, often provides very good, a very good service, but uh, still room for improvement. Right, Dr. Tepper? Absolutely. We often say better has no limit. So we'll continue to make things better. Okay, thank you very much. Appreciate that very much. Absolutely. Have a good day. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.